This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're going to get to some listener questions here in just a second. Um, you can get get those to us via YouTube. We've already got a bunch teed up, so we're going to try and get to as many as possible. Um, you can get those to us in the live YouTube chat, the uh, com- comment thread on cincyjungle.com. You can also get them to us on, on Twitter at Bengals OBI or, or by texting or calling us 949-542-6241. This show is available on iTunes on Stitcher, on Google Play, on Megaphone, on YouTube, and on CincyJungle.com. Uh, John, there's there's a, a bunch of different ones I could I could go with. Um, I guess we can start with um, quickly on this one. Frank from Virginia, um, how? What's the opinion of how the defense is going to be set up? Three, four, four, three hybrid personnel changes, that sort of thing. Um, I think that's kind of the the question du jour with the Bengals, given the defensive coordinator situation, who they just brought in on defensive line uh, as a defensive line coach. Um, so your your thoughts on that one? Yeah, um, they're going to be rushing four guys and dropping seven into coverage for seventy percent of the snaps. Whether it's they're in four down linemen or three down linemen for the 20 something snaps in the game where people like to harp on their quote unquote base packages, but I don't, the defense isn't changing that much. Hopefully they work, work a little bit on their, on their scheme, a little bit with their linebackers and putting them in better positions to, to make plays of the bird. That would be the biggest suggestion that they what their front six or seven is going to look like and, and how they're going to attack it. I don't think it's going to change that much, but honestly though, it, it is interesting how some assistants for the Bengals ha- have experience in that 3-4, and they, they could be more multiple and do a little bit more different things, but ultimately I think it's going to be pretty much the same. Yeah, I, you know, and I think the Bengals will probably still do the nickel, you know, a lot of nickel stuff, and that, that'll depend Everything on Everything does. Like, yeah. That's, that's just how it is. Uh, it's just that's what the personnel on offense usually dictates to them. We do have another call on the line. Uh, it is from – Spencer from Cincinnati and Spencer, uh, thanks for calling in. I know you tried to call in last week and we missed you. What's on your mind tonight, buddy? Well, I just wanted to first say thanks for having me on. Um, I hope that my question isn't outdated. Um, I don't think it's been directly touched on, but I was very high on the Zach Taylor hire and the change that the Bengals were having. I did have some concerns with him basically hiring a bunch of friends and ex-colleagues. <laughs> Does that kind of show like a lack of maybe leadership or command of a room or him being open-minded to other people? If he's surrounding himself with friends, won't they be more inclined to agree with him and maybe be a little easy on him? That is a great question. Hey, hey uh, John, your thoughts on on that. I, I've got a couple thoughts of my own on it, but your your thoughts on what Spencer's asking with Zach Taylor's staff of – Cronies, I guess. <laughs> yeah, cronies is like the perfect. It's not so much nepotism as, as it is in cronies, but I think it's a double-edged sword, man. Like, like you had that aspect of it where you're you're a first-time head coach and you're with a bunch of guys that you work with in the past, and presumably you're establishing some type of workplace where you know you're an authority, but you're not going to be challenged that much because you're surrounding yourself with guys you trust, and hopefully they're you know they're going to be in a position where not only does he trust these guys, but they trust him to tell him the truth and to, in order for him to make the most decisions that he's going to rely on, on a lot of their input. But also at the same time, when you are that young first time head coach, then you're going to be one surrounded with guys that are comfortable that, you know, are going to buy into what, 
what, what you're building as far as the culture goes, as far as the system goes. So I think it kind of works both ways and you kind of have to take the good with the bad. Me personally, there was some hires that I was really questioning, you know, is this guy just hiring him, not based off his qualifications, but just with his past associations with them. Jim Turner's like the guy that sticks out to me most with that. But at the same time, I, I think there are some benefits with it. And it's kind of just something that you got you to have to take with, with the good with the bad, I guess. Yeah. yeah and it, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at with it as well. I, I, uh, I see it and I go, well, young coach, first time head coach, he's got to have guys that he trusts in the room. He's got to have guys who he thinks, number one, will be on the same page as him. Number, number two, run the systems that he is familiar with and he wants to run. And number three, just having guys in the room that'll give it to him real about certain players, certain situations. Now, I think Spencer brings up that what, what happens is when you when you bring in a bunch of guys to work under you that you're comfortable with, there there's the possibility of yeah, I mean you're going to run stuff that everybody's on the same page and you know it, it should be a potentially a well-oiled machine, but you run the risk of just hiring, and I think this is maybe where Spencer's coming from, you run the risk of maybe hiring a bunch of yes men. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I don't – that would not be good. Uh, and I, not to say that everybody needs to call out Zach Taylor or anything like that, but um, if, if he's just kind of saying these things and, and dictating these certain things, obviously he's the boss, but, um, you know, I, I, I'd like to think that he's hired guys to get, not really push back, but – at least give their two cents and, and make it a valuable piece of two cents. And, and uh, you know, the other facet, Spencer, that I think goes into this all is uh, the, the carousel of the defensive coordinator situation. I think that has kind of uh, turned a lot of people, I don't want to say turned a lot of people off, but it is the, the positivity, a lot of that has kind of dissipated when you know you're now six or seven coordinators down the pecking order, at least uh, at, according to reports. Yeah, what my deal? <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for calling in again this week, Spencer. Appreciate it. Uh, make make it a habit, buddy. Yeah, of course. All right, take it easy. Yeah, take it easy. Uh, that was Spencer calling us on the on the phone line there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, we had another question from uh, good friend Carlos Andre, and uh, oh boy. Oh, I saw this one. Hey, it's a good one, but it's uh, hey. um, trading for Josh Rosen. I mean, uh, there's talk that the Cardinals are, are going to be enamored with Kyler Murray because of Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Keim, their GM. Uh, they really like Kyler Murray, and even though you know this is a new coach, and even though, though last year's regime brought in Rosen, um, you know they may move on and try and dangle Rosen out there for a trade. Rosen did not have a good rookie season, but that team was awful, hot garbage. Yeah, <laughs> um, so. I guess your thoughts. Let's start with this. Your your thoughts last year on Rosen as a pro because I didn't. You weren't 
with us last year uh, when we were kind of talking about some of these guys. So I'd like to get your thoughts on Rosen's professional outlook based on tape you watched to him and things you saw about him. I didn't watch a ton of Arizona, but I do know that that offensive line was nothing to write home about. And it's hard to just judge a quarter, a young quarterback, a, a first-year starter. I think he started 13 games. I think he came in week three when Sam Bradford was playing awful predictably. And the offensive line had no one – besides maybe Mason Cole at center, no one at, at tackle, no one at guard that was that was worth starting on the field. It's like starting for Alex Redmonds and Bobby Hart. So he was having trouble not, not, not only, like, you know, finding time to find guys open, but all he really had a receiver was Larry Fitzgerald for most of the year. And Christian Kirk kind of stepped up t- towards the later year, and he just started developing good chemistry with him. But overall, it was just, the, like, by far the worst offense in the league. They had no idea how to use David Johnson for most of the year, which is – basically impossible when you think about it but um yeah like r- rookie years for quarterbacks in, in large part are just they, they're just kind of irrelevant in the grand scheme of things only very rarely do rookie quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield Russell Wilson light it up in their first year and that's usually when they're surrounded by great talent uh, uh, up front on offensive line have great op- options on the outside and have uh an offensive coordinator in a scheme that kind of works with them. But Rosen, the prospect, and I, I, I'm i not exactly comfortable doing this because I don't like when people do this, but when you compare Rosen to the top guys in this draft class, I, I, I wouldn't say that he would be anywhere different in terms of in terms of rankings. I think he was a top three guy last year, clearly maybe even top two. And I think that's where he would be if he came out this year competing with Haskins and Murray. So you're, you're, you're thinking you're, you're getting like a top quarterback prospect for the price of not even trading up for, for one, which is what you usually have to do. So in theory, I think, I, either having Rosen behind a veteran like Dalton or putting him in, you know, immediately to, 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 chill, to, to still try to get his feet wet would be a pretty decent situation because he does have good receivers. He at least has more pieces on the offense line than he had to work with um, in Arizona. Hopefully, you know, Zach Taylor implements a, a, a friendly system to whoever is, is quarterbacking um, his football roster in 2019. But um, like in general, I, I don't think they necessarily do considerably better or considerably worse with Rosen compared to Andy Dalton, even though Dalton's a more established veteran, but there's raw talent to like about Rosen. And I think he's a, a smart and intelligent kid that's going to be able to command a locker room. But when, when he kind of hits his stride and that's not happening yet, but it's an, it's a long-term investment for the Bengals or any team to possibly make this happen. And I, I wouldn't be completely against it. Uh, I, I do see the, the, the flaws in it all, but I like Rosen as a quarterback prospect, and the Bengals do need to find someone eventually to take over for Dalton. I think this is not the worst avenue to take. Yeah, I've, I have a follow-up question for you, but just real quick, my take on him. I saw quite a bit of him at uh, UCLA. Um, the kid makes throws that are just wow. They're beautiful. Uh, and, and there's times where you're like, dude, do you even care? Do you even care that you're on the field right now? Um, and I think uh, – you know, I think part of that was UCLA kind of earlier in his career was a, a decent team. And then towards the end, it really kind of, uh, d- they started to kind of fall apart. And then he kind of, I think, had some injury issues and that sort of thing. But um, he's got an arm. Uh, he can make a lot of a lot of throws. It's it's a consistency issue for me um, with with him and uh I, you know, I think I think the upside is is definitely there, and I think you know, we do, I think you talked about it with John Ross situation. It's the, you know, you would b- then be potentially buying low um, on a guy if if the Cardinals decide to go that route. The follow up question I want to have for you on this is basically, I mean, obviously, the Bengals 
trading for Rosen is something that would be interesting, but obviously there's there's a value aspect and and it depend there's a dependent issue on you know what would they be giving up so what's what's kind of the maximum type of capital you would be willing to give up probably this year for a guy like rosen right now well i would think think arizona want that 11th overall pick and um like i would probably start with like 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 a couple day two picks because of what we saw from rosen and this is kind of like playing the whole negotiating thing and hopefully keep it there but if it comes if it if it ultimately comes to that first to that 11th overall pick you're thinking okay what, what am i giving up if if you know i keep that pick i i get maybe a top two tackle in this draft class and maybe getting devin white the best linebacker in this draft but you know honestly you know fans have been saying you know th- th- this team is in a position to win now and it it uh, to me personally, I, I, it has to be if they want to go further than where they have in the past, you know, seven eight years. They probably need someone a little bit more talented than Andy Dalton. I think Rosen can become that. And the sooner that you have that quarterback in place in your system, the better. And honestly, like if, if it costs the limit overall pick, then that's I would strongly consider that it might end up actually pulling the trigger. If it's, if it's that 11th overall pick and they keep the rest of their picks and they keep their future picks, maybe if they have to give up like a future third or something like that, maybe like a conditional. Like, yeah. Yeah. Something like that, depending on how it happens. But like quarterback is the name of the game and he's, he still has four years left on his rookie deal for affordability that you can do. You can do more things with that cap space that you save with Dalton or you keep Dalton and you have, you know, Dalton playing ahead of Rosen and, you know, you just have that kind of bridge transitional thing because Rosen is still 22 years old and he's not completely ready to take over the league by any means. So, you know, I, that, 11th overall, that 11th overall pick would definitely be on the table for me. And if it, mm. it ends up coming to it, I would heavily consider it. Yeah, I mean it's a little high for me, but um, I mean that that might be what it takes. So uh, you know, for for what is what was looked at as a premier quarterback in last year's draft. Last question, we'll get out of here, John. Um, it, it's a quick one. Uh, I, I didn't get the name of this person, but it was a text coming in. Um, most important game on the on the schedule next season, and why? Holy my God, it's like February. Like we don't even know <laughs> we don't even know what these teams are going to look like. But um, let's see, they play the NFC West. Uh, they played the Rams in London. That's yep. that's pretty damn that's pretty damn important. They tied last time in London to uh, the Redskins. Yeah, who, thanks, thanks NFL. By the way, I was I was planning on going to that game uh, in LA. <laughs> that's right. Because you went to the Chargers game last year, right? I did. Yeah, uh, but the Coliseum, I guess, is the is the better place than the StubHub Center. But, yeah. Um. That, that's that. I think that's pretty important for for Taylor's new squad to go up against his old squad and. I, I don't know if you called prime time and like kicks off at six thirty your local time in London, yeah. but um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that's, that's that's on the that's on the docket of importance. Obviously, the Steelers games are always important. They play the NFC West. What's what, what division the AFC do they play? The South, maybe the East. Uh, okay. I want to say it's the East, but I'm not 100 percent sure. If they play the East, and obviously the Patriots, because like the like they played the Chiefs last year, and the Chiefs are going to be like the next best thing in the AFC and they failed that test miserably. So just any game against the Patriots are important to kind of a barometer of where you are compared to the lead in your conference. So that like those, those are two Super Bowl teams and your biggest rivals. So those are probably the biggest four games. Yeah. So you've got, uh, looks like NFC West and AFC East. Yeah. So two, uh, two Super Bowl teams. Yeah. Wee. <laughs> 
to me, I mean, obviously, to the division games are always the most important to me. Uh, for the first time in a long time, I'm going to say the Browns game. One of the Browns yes. games is probably yes. going to be the most important. I think the Steelers will be on the downswing based on all of the drama that they have. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be terrible. I just think that they will not be a 10-win team like they usually are. Um, everybody and their mother is building up the Browns uh, after what they did last year in Baker Mayfield. I would love to see them fall from grace. Uh, I, I saw a reporter today on Twitter saying he was going to tell Freddie Kitchens that he had the expectation that the, the Browns were going to go 12-4 and four next year. <laughs> um, so uh, to me, uh, I think a lot of – and I think a lot of people are, are, are going this way. I think – I don't think there's a lot of people who are long-term believers in Lamar Jackson – um, I don't. I don't think uh, a lot of people are high on the Steelers based on all of the attrition that's probably going to take place at, in some of their offensive skill positions. And then the Bengals are in a major state of transition themselves. So I think a lot of people think that this is the Browns' division to lose. Um, so I, oddly enough, I'm going to say you know whatever one you want to pick, um, the Browns' game is probably going to be very important next year. Um, and you know it's it's division it's conference all that kind of stuff so mm -hmm. to me that's that's where i'd go thanks for all the questions tonight guys on a variety of different ways we got texts we had tweets we had calls all that kind of stuff uh we probably had some more in the live youtube chat we're just running up against time so i apologize we couldn't get to those but uh if you ever want to send those to us uh hit us up via twitter or anything like that um, you know, you can send those our way. We'll try and get to those either on the show or, uh, and or on our mailbag feature that we do on cincyjungle.com. So we appreciate all the, all the feedback and everything. Um, you can get this show, as I've said a couple of times on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google play, you can get it on megaphone. It's also on YouTube and cincyjungle.com. We appreciate the support. Subscribe to our channels and, uh, keep, keep, in touch with us. We want to hear from you guys. It's a listener-driven show, and we want to keep it that way. Thanks for everything. Thanks, John. Appreciate uh, all your input. And, um, hey, the Combine's right around the corner. We're, we're, we're talking about a new league year here. Free agency will, or will get started here in just a couple of weeks. And there's going to be a lot to talk about. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.